there, little masters, and welcome to another weekly episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast, where tonight, well, the good stuff is nothing to sneeze at, unless you're a poor hobbit with a cold. <laughs> West to hell, my friends. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, the boatman to my raft elf, uh, Alan Sisto. I like that one. Folks, today we are going to get through Chapter 10 of The Hobbit, A Warm Welcome. That's right, the entire chapter in one episode. It's been a while. Yes. Um, Bilbo and his companions, and they really are his companions now, aren't they? Mm, are they really are. finally out of Mirkwood, and they are within sight of the Lonely Mountain. And in this chapter, we're going to see a settlement of men for the first time in this book. Seems hard to believe that we haven't seen men play much of a role in this book at all, except for Bayorn. Well, that's about to change. That is, all in good time. But first, why don't we get on to our first segment? It's another installment of... Philology Fair. Yeah. <laughs> Your favorite stinger. It is. Well, today's Philology Fair is actually going to be a little bit different from usual. Mm-hmm. Usually we like to talk about a word or words that Tolkien uh, sort of reclaimed from the dustbin of history. Well, yep. today I'd like to talk about two words that have been in everyday use pretty much for centuries. Uh, and because they're so common, I think most of us probably have never stopped to think about their etymology, which is a shame because when we compare these two words in their history, it sheds some interesting light on this chapter that I think uh, we'll really enjoy taking a look at. Hmm. Okay. Well, don't keep us waiting, Sean. What two words are we looking at? <laughs> I'm just trying to build the suspense. Bated Can't breath. Tell. Um, I want to take a look at the words king and master. Oh. Two very common words that we're going to start to see come into conflict with each other as soon as Thorin enters Lake Town. I'm used to being called both, just so you're aware. And I, I'm... <laughs> but only by your family, right? Oh, no, no, no. All of you. All of you may call me king or master, your preference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. In, no. in, in an informal basis, you may call me sir. <laughs> I will call you boatman, and that is it. <laughs> the man of the West. All right, Alfred. Not, not king LSR. Um, (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) We we digress. So we do digress. That only took two and a half minutes. Yeah. yeah. Well, so let's start with king. So Mm -hmm. king is a Germanic word. It comes from Old English, and I probably should have looked up how to pronounce this before the episode started recording, but uh, I believe it's kuning. Yeah, I think uh, so. Basically, C-Y-N, kun plus I-N-G. Now, the second element, that I-N-G suffix, is a patronymic suffix in Old English. Basically, that means son of. Right. And we see this usage all over Tolkien's work. Oh, yeah. I think that's not a surprise. Yeah, yeah. the Beornings, the Aorlingus. Right. Uh, yeah, right. Sorts exactly. Exactly. Now, the first element of that word, kun, C-Y-N, is essentially the same as our modern word, kin. But in Old English, it meant something more like kindred or race or nation, you know, a people. Right. Yeah. Um, it's related to a host of words in language in many languages that have to do with family relationships and birth. And um, there's even some English words derived from like Greek and Latin, things like uh, genus, generation, gentleman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now I'm just now I'm just rambling. But well, sure. all of those G-E-N words that have to do with family relationships or birth are all related to the same root. Interesting. But anyway, the king or the kuning seems to literally mean a son of the people. Right. And when I look this up in the Which online etymology dictionary, yeah. that is very interesting. I mean, and he's the, the king. He's more like the father of the people, I would imagine, from from their, from their his perspective, well, at least. Well, and that's what's interesting about it because, you know, the, and I looked this up in the online etymology dictionary. It, there was a little note that, you know, the sociological and ideological implications render this a topic of much debate. Well, and yeah. I think that's exactly that question. Is the king the father of the people, the son of the people? 
what what kind of you know yeah, yeah. I'm sure you could come up with all sorts of different political ideologies just based sure. off of this and, and this, arguments uh, for both yeah yeah you really right could. exactly um, but the idea seems to be at a minimum that this is a person who's descended from noble birth mm-hmm. and whose identity is linked to the identity of the people he rules yeah which well that's interesting because initially that's that's quite true but you know it, I'm thinking about kings in the in Medieval like times, like in the late where, Middle Ages, and, right? And, yeah. and you've got yeah. kings from France ruling over England, and kings from you know Germany, kings and, of yeah. German roots, and things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a really right. good point. Over time, that has kind of changed a bit yeah. for for most of Europe, but not for Thorin. No, Thorin, I think that's what's interesting here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good. he's clearly. I, yeah, I mean, I'm just my thought is, you know, clearly he's a man of of noble birth. You know, we talk about him mm-hmm. being Durin's heir. Uh, yep. And and he's really yep. the leader of his people. I mean the the yeah the dwarves yeah, of the blue it, mountains are his are his folk. They're his kin. Yeah, exactly. And certainly for a, you know a culture that's in exile as his mm-hmm. is a people that's in exile as his is you know in diaspora, this yeah. sense of his diaspora. Yeah, um, this sense of a noble birth is really um, oh it's really so. kind of key to their identity. You know, yeah. just the fact that there is still this person who can claim the title of king under the mountain. I think is very yeah. important for the dwarvish people. So oh, absolutely. I mean. He is an enormously important dwarf, and I think that's in more ways than one. <laughs> that's true. I mean, I know we've kind of at the beginning we sort of mocked that because it's it's almost like he's self-important, and he is. He's very haughty yeah, yeah. about it. But you know, the truth of the matter is, he is an important dwarf, and we yeah. see that in, yes. in mentioned by you know the Goblin King when he says, you know, I know all about you and about your people, and mm-hmm, uh, right. and then we even see with Thranduil who knows who he is, not just yeah. by name, but by the fact that he's the son of. Oh no, I'm sorry. Of course, the Elven King does. I was thinking. Um, didn't Bayorn know who he was? I think he might have, actually. I think he did. Yeah. I think he did. He knew, you know, that he was the, of that line. Uh, yeah. That, you know, that, yeah. He, that he could trust them because this was a line of dwarves that had done, you know, right, good things. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, he knew his heritage if he didn't know him personally. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So that's king. Now, let's turn to that other word that I want to talk about yeah. that we'll see a lot in this chapter. And by the way, Master. I did just confirm that. He says, if it's true that Good. you are okay. Thorin, son of Thrain, son of Thror, I believe. So even Thorin go. hadn't given his his uh, heritage, and, and yet Bayorn knew it. He just recognized really interesting. his yeah. bearing. Maybe he recognized his, his face. Well, or the name know. Thorin, yeah. I mean, just, yeah. Oh, because he had already given his first He'd name. He'd given his, his first his, name. He just hadn't yeah. said son of Thorin. Yeah, gotcha. he hadn't given his heritage. Right, gotcha. Okay. Right. Got it. Okay. Yeah, of course. Well, so master, on the other hand, master is not a Germanic word. It is a word with Latin origins. It ultimately comes from uh, the Latin magister, Mm -hmm. which basically means a director or a chief or a teacher. Um, It has been in English for a long time. It's not like it's Mm -hmm. a recent borrowing. It was actually um, borrowed into Old English. So that tells us it's at least older than 1066. Right, pre-Norman invasion, yeah. Right. Um, but during the Middle Ages, it, it usually had either an academic connotation, mm-hmm. so you know, basically somebody with authority to teach at a university, like right. our, our modern usage of a you know our, a master's degree, right? Or it had sort of a trade guild connotation, you know, like a master oh, yeah, craftsman, yeah. master smith, um, you know, right? Like and, the, and I think the highest level you could achieve in a particular craft, a right? Particular, in a particular trade, in a particular yeah. craft, yeah. Uh, and I think that's the most on point meaning here, um, oh, as we'll see yeah. later when we get to the discussion. Yeah, that um, makes sense. But it's it's clearly a word that, you know, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't have the visceral um, sense of identity that I think King or no. Keening has. No, it's you know, more it's, of a role than, yeah. um, than an identity. 
Yeah, it's like something that someone could attain. I mean, you talk oh, yeah. about uh, a trade a, a trade guild master or an academic master. That's something you study long enough, you right. practice your trade long enough, you will attain this. Right. This level. I can become a master podcaster, right. but I can never become a king. Right. How do you become yeah. king then? <laughs> <laughs> By exploiting the workers. <laughs> Holding on to imperialist do- outdated imperialist dogma. <laughs> the Lady of the Lake. Oh, man, certainly not. <laughs> strange women lying in ponds distributing swords. That's no basis yeah. for a system of government. <laughs> no, <not. laughs> Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not some farcical aquatic ceremony. <laughs> All right. That's, that's we should probably, awesome. We should probably stop. Oh, man, <laughs> but, that's uh, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, you can you can learn to become yeah. a master. You can't. But you, you, you can't, can't learn to become king. You can't learn to become a king. That's true. So, um, and it's definitely a it's definitely a word that seems to have some negative connotations here in this chapter, um, as we'll see. Yeah, I, that's I don't, a good point. You know, obviously, Tolkien doesn't always use it negatively. I mean, I think. Well, no. You know, we see tons of uses of you know, Sam is called Master, master Samwise. Sam right. Frodo is Sam's master and Gollum's master. Um, then occasionally it is a bad, it is used in a negative True. way. You know, feign or desire to master minds. That's right. Um, so That's right. it's a, it's just an interesting, and of course he used king, you know, positively and negatively too. But well, yeah. Um, but and I think I think that's really the key is it. It doesn't have that sense of identity with the people that right. uh, that a king You're does. Right. You're right. Well, you know, he's so he's a master, but he's not much of a leader. But he's certainly yeah. a, a consummate politician, as we'll see. Quite adept at. Figuring out which way the winds are blowing, I would say. But he certainly is. Yeah, he actually reminds me of um, another leader we've seen in the first age, which I'll talk about Ooh. a little bit later. I'm thinking another consummate, post- another consummate politician of the first age. Yes, he just kind of follows the way the wind is blowing. Follows the way the wind. Is oh, going. we'll get to it soon enough. All right. Well, well, let's get on to the discussion <laughs> for now. We'll start right at the beginning of the chapter, uh, and I'll read the first couple of paragraphs. I love this because All it's. Right. Another, I, I, we so rarely get to read uh, landscape descriptions, but I'm going to go ahead and do that here. Cool. The day grew lighter and warmer as they floated along. After a while, the river rounded a steep shoulder of land that came down upon their left. Under its rocky feet, like an inland cliff, the deepest stream had flowed lapping and bubbling. Suddenly, the cliff fell away. The shores sank. The trees ended. Then Bilbo saw a sight. The lands opened wide about him, filled with the waters of the river which broke up and wandered in a hundred winding courses, or halted in marshes and pools, dotted with isles on every side. But still a strong water flowed on steadily through the midst. And far away, its dark head in a torn cloud, there loomed the mountain. Its nearest neighbors to the northeast, and the tumbled land that joined it to them, could not be seen. All alone it rose, and looked across the marshes to the forest. The lonely mountain! Bilbo had come far and through many adventures to see it, and now he did not like the look of it in the least. Wow, yeah, I finally got here. Wow, that's not a good thing. Wow, do, do I really want to be here? Yeah, I don't right think I want to be here anymore. Can I leave? <laughs> I it, mean, this is. It's yeah. interesting because it, it starts out looking like excitement. You know, oh, you yeah. first see the lonely mountain! Exclamation point. And right. then, you know, oh. Oh, yeah. I don't like the look of that in the least. No, 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 no. <laughs> it turns from excitement to dread pretty quickly. I'll have none of that. If it ever really started as excitement. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. What a what a moment, though, finally seeing this 
end goal. And I think it's mm-hmm. it's the knowledge that the dragon's there, of course, that's that's the, the part. Oh, certainly, he, yeah. I mean, otherwise it's a beautiful mountain. Why wouldn't you want to see it? But yeah, uh, yeah I think Bilbo's It's interesting that this chapter begins it. and ends with Bilbo thinking about the mountain. Mm-hmm. You know, and realizing that's true. Know, realizing what's coming next for their quest. Yeah, and because he's very much in charge of the quest, it seems at this point, uh, and, <laughs> he certainly is. Yeah, and he knows that even if he hadn't taken charge yet, that once they get to that lonely mountain, it's his job to get him in. You know, I mean, right. he's the, he's the one that uh, was supposed to what sit on the doorstep and think of something. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. So he's so, kind of coming to that. He's yeah. kind of coming to that decision point now for him. Like this is why they pay me the big bucks. He this says this is why they pay me the big bucks, or they promise me the big bucks right. that they don't have yet. One fourteenth of nothing. Carry the nothing. Right. Still nothing. Carry the nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Luck strikes again, of course. I mean, you know, he's able to, we're not reading this part, but he hears the raftsmen, and these are elves still. I know that's one thing to keep in mind. As you listen to the talk of the raftmen, those are elves still. They're just, yeah. They're, they're the raftmen. That's their job. Raftmen, yeah, in the sense of a person, not a human. Right. Or, or the, you know, that's their, that's their, that's their job yeah, that's, title, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so he hears them, and he re- they reveal some important facts. You know, the that there's some trade disagreements. Uh, you know, they they both yeah. they, they're both part of NAFTA, and they want out. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the Lakemen and Wood Elves can't quite figure out what to do. It's, it's interesting. You 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 make that joke, and it's a funny enough joke. But you, you stop to think about like this is the first time you hear about trade disagreements. And yeah, we're talking about is. humans. Exactly. I mean, we're it's, talking about elves too. Yeah. But once you bring once you bring you know men, men into the into mix, the it's like now we got to talk about trade disagreements and you know, <laughs> it's interesting how how mundane thing yeah. some of the details very become. Practical, you know, yeah. very day to day. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, given men's relatively short lifespan in comparison to the serial longevity of the elves, you know, they're well, they're trying true. to deal with uh, that day to day existence in a way that elves are just kind of whatever about. I mean, really, elves if you want just, to. Elves can just frolic in the forest all the time. Right, because if it takes them 100 years to figure something out, they don't care. Right, that's <laughs> well, true. They have, that is true. They have ultimate patience because they don't need to have anything else. Yeah, that's um, a good point. So, I've got nothing but time. Got, that's right. <laughs> oh, man. Um, the rapid change that's happening. You know, they, they talk about, you know, he's, he's overhearing them, things like, uh, you know, not just since the dwarves were in Erebor, you know, because... The dwarves were in Erebor, my goodness, almost 200 years ago at this point. Smaug took yeah, Erebor yeah. in 1170. That's 171 years before this moment. So they're not just okay, talking so that's about— Okay, so that the, that's the Shire Reckoning? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Shire Reckoning, yeah. 1170. My apology. Thanks for clarifying yeah. that because it's certainly not Third Age. I don't have the Third Age year handy. But it's 1170, and that's 171 years ago. Yeah. Um, we knew that. 20... We yeah, we knew. In terms I'm, try, of, I'm trying to figure out what you would. You, I mean, I know this is 2941, so whatever that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't do the math that quickly. I'd have to no, pull up the calculator. Either, but, but that's fine. We'll just go with Shire Reckoning for now. Yeah, Shire Reckoning <laughs> 1170. So 171 years have passed. Yeah, since the dwarves were yeah. in Erebor. So you know, even though Thorin was there as a young dwarf when they left, uh, and 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 Balin was there, and and um, they, those this is a long time for men. Were. This is not a very this is not long one lifetime for men. for men. Yeah, that's right. This is so many generations of men. This is what that would be about almost seven generations of Probably, men. Probably. Yeah, I mean, isn't yeah, a generation about, about twenty five years? Yeah. Yeah. Twenty five to thirty five. Yeah. 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 About that. Yeah. Yeah. So six, seven. Let's generations. say. Let's put the difference. Let's say thirty. I mean, it's yeah. it's definitely five There's or six, six generations. Yeah, six generations certainly. Uh, but even in recent years. 
Uh, it's not just since they've been gone that there have been changes. We even get that, that since Gandalf had heard news uh, that there have been changes mm-hmm. in the landscape, floods and yeah. earthquakes and, and vanished paths and uh, an increased amount of, of marshlands and bogs. Really hard times for these people. You yeah. Know, between the between the political bickering and the economic troubles and the you know the, the yeah. landscape changes. You know, you're talking about um, you're talking about the kind of stuff that that you know hurts your crops. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Really. It makes it makes it hard to grow enough food for people. That's right. Um, it's just that's just interesting. It is, and in and, fact, and to go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, and to, and to live in the shadow of the dragon. I mean, I know it's been long enough that most of them don't remember. Yeah, the men. The men don't some necessarily don't, believe some it. Some don't even. believe it. Um, but, you know, surely the wise, mm-hmm. we know that the the wise and even some of the foolish know that there's a dragon up there. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it just feels to me a little bit like, you know, living under an active, living at the foot of an active volcano. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> that's know? true. Yeah. I'm sure the town of, of Pompeii wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't worried about Mount Vesuvius erupting at that right. particular moment. Right. Yeah. I'm sure they probably never thought it was, you know. Some of them thought never, it might never, never erupt again. happen in their lifetime. You never think it's going to happen in your lifetime. No, that's true. I mean, I, you know, I understand that. I live in California and everybody talks about the big one, you know, and, and, and I've lived through mm. some pretty significant quakes. The Northridge quake in uh, 94, I think that was. Silmar back in 72 or 73. I was a little kid, but... Um, the fact is, though, those aren't the big ones. Those aren't the, right. the big one is going to be the big one, and it's going to be absolutely freaking terrifying. Yeah. And I just keep on thinking it's not going to happen in my lifetime because if it is, I can't. There's nothing I can do to stop it, and right. I can prepare, but you know, I'm, I'm. There's only so much you can prepare. And, yeah, and, and I mean, I've got I've got really several hard. gallons of water. I've got some, you know, a few days worth of food and stuff. I mean, I'm not a survivalist. I don't have like you know. You don't have thousand, buckets and buckets of no, no buckets uh, MREs of and stuff like that. I've got maybe three <laughs> days worth of uh, you know like uh, canned foods that we rotate out every year. And yes, and maybe Vienna sausages uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I've got like like I think twelve gallons of water on a shelf in the garage. So if the garage collapses, I'm doomed anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> see, yeah. See, for me, like I've I I lived a little while in California, but most of my life has been more uh, in hurricane areas. Yeah. Well, Austin's a little bit inland, so we don't get much hurricane activity unless it's a really big one. Yeah, like that um, one. Yeah, like the one that hit Houston. Yeah, yeah, recently. we got a little bit from that, but um, and and we're it's hilly enough here that we don't get many tornadoes. But oh, that's um, good. But yeah, I mean, even like being from New Orleans, you know, having seen oh, something yeah. like you know Hurricane oh, Katrina back in two thousand two thousand five. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, you never expect something like that is going to happen to no. people you know. No, you're right. And that's kind of what the dragon is. The dragon is the dragon uh, is an just a natural a disaster hurricane. waiting to happen. It's, yeah. You and know? the oldest folks are like, yeah, I remember when one happened and it was devastating you people. Don't forget that this is going to happen. Right. Um, but in the meantime, the, the geographical changes uh, had an impact on the story. I'm going to have you read the next little bit there. The elf rode through the wood which the dwarves had followed on the advice of Bayorn now came to a doubtful and little-used end at the eastern edge of the forest. Only the river offered any longer a safe way from the skirts of Mirkwood in the north to the mountain-shattered plains beyond, and the river was guarded by the Wood Elves King. So you see, Bilbo had come in the end by the only road that was any good. It might have been some comfort to Mr. Baggins, shivering on the barrels, if he had known that news of this had reached Gandalf far away and given him great anxiety, and that he was in fact finishing his other business, which does not come into this tale, and getting ready to come in search of Thorin's company. But Bilbo did not know it. No, he did not. Nope. Again, crazy stuff. 
If you had not Some, gotten yeah, captured it, by the Elven King and figured out yeah. a way to get out and that that way out involved the river, you wouldn't have made it. Yeah. Some kind of crazy luck here. Yeah. I mean, had they heeded, don't leave the path, they'd have died. They would, That's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> that is a very good point. Yeah. And, and even this path was originally not their original choice, right? I mean, they were going to go to that's that. That's right, because they would have just yeah, gone the, to the, the, the middle normal, path there, the, the road in the road. south. Yeah. Which yeah. would not have been safe at all. No, no. It was used by goblins and, and Thank, bad crews. Yeah. Um, Thanks to their capture by goblins and their escape, they came yeah. across Bayorn. He said, no, take this northern path. But even that, and wasn't then even safe. that path wasn't safe, because they would, and they, and that one they would have gotten all the way to the end before yeah. they realized it's just ends oh, in marshes, and you know yeah, we, we wouldn't well, have been able to get out. Wouldn't have been able. What to are we escape. supposed to do now? Go back? Yeah. Oh goodness. And and just th- thinking of dragging out that Merkwood journey any any longer oh, than they had to. You're has not to be kidding. Miserable. Go back. Amazing and, and do luck. What? Go Incredible. Back to, yeah. Exactly. More and more of this luck that's just, you know, I know I, I think in the last episode we talked about how luck appears something like 50 times. But mm-hmm. think about all the times where the word isn't used. The word isn't the mentioned, but it's is clear. clearly, re- yeah, it's clearly that's what's at work. I mean, that's why mm-hmm. it's an even bigger, you know, concept, a bigger theme yeah. Uh, yeah. Than, than those 50 appearances might suggest. It's the yeah, same thing with definitely. comfort, too. You know, we've talked about comfort and uncomfortable. Yeah, sometimes you don't see the word and comfort. And yet there's or, synonyms or, or antonyms or just yeah. a description that fits one or of the Or just other. a description yeah. of, you know, the, the description of eating bacon at home and things like that. Right, that and you just, realize you're hearing yeah. comfort versus being on a barrel that keeps rotating into the cold river and dunking right. you underwater. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, my so goodness. very, very lucky. Um, very, very sure lucky. doesn't feel lucky right now. No, but no. You know, he's poor, shivering Mister Baggins. I have to note the Mister Baggins again. You know, yeah, you're right. In a in a somewhat tookish moment. Yeah, uh, I do love the reference to Gandalf here at this point. You know, because he's been really oh, yeah, out yeah. of the story, very absent uh, mm-hmm. ever since he left uh, left the party before they entered Mirkwood. Yeah, uh, you know, I think he'd been mentioned a couple times as, oh, they wish Gandalf were still there, but that's really about it. This is the first yeah, time we're it. we're kind of given a reference to what he's doing. Uh, right. And that, you know, here he's finishing his other business, which, though it doesn't come into this tale, doesn't does come, come into, come into the, the legendarium as a does whole, doesn't it? does come into the next tale, yes. Um, Very big business. Big, big, big business. And that, uh, and now he's getting ready to come in search of Thorne's company. Yeah. Uh, it sure would be nice if he could get here quickly, but, uh, you know. <laughs> yes, it would. Well, we will see him before the end. We will. So we get uh, we get the first mention of the nasty cold in the nose in the next paragraph. Yeah, uh, and as they get you know closer to Lake Town here, so the mountain continues to loom and threaten until uh, until the river takes that bend to the south and then east back to the lake. Seems to frown at him and threaten him. I Isn't love that. that. Cool. You know, yeah. We see these moments where like you know the trees or you know the landscape itself sort of takes on a some character. human characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Here it and is frowning you... at him. It's. Sort of embodying his yeah. his fear of what's coming, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you've got a little, uh, not to read, but you've observed this note, uh, kind of an astronomical note, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. The next paragraph he talks, yeah. he, he looks off to the north, and far off in the north he sees the stars of the Wayne already twinkling. Yeah. Now, um, the Wayne uh, is uh, the constellation that uh, Tolkien would have called the Plow, I believe, mm-hmm. because that's what it's most commonly called in the U.K. Right. Uh, we in the U.S. call the Big Dipper. Yep. Um, 
part of part of Ursa Major, Major. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Great Bear. Ursa Major, the Big Dipper, is also known in uh, uh-huh. in the Legendarium as the Sickle of the Valar. The Valakirka. It's actually mentioned. I had Valakirka. That's I know right. you probably had that in your notes, but I had to say Valakirka. <laughs> I, you, that's fine. You're allowed. Um, it's such a cool word, though. It is, isn't uh, it? The Valakirka in the Silmarillion, set yeah. high in the north by Varda as a challenge to Melkor. You know, I really love all the, the, the cool constellation names. Manel yeah. Makar and his Shining Belt. Yeah. I love that stuff. That's just awesome. Two, na- two names given of that. So that's Orion. Yeah, there's uh, mm-hmm. Manel Makar and Manel Vagor are both names for the same constellation. Yep, yep. Love that. And then there's a whole bunch of stars and planets and... Oh, I know. One of the history of Middle Earth books, I think Christopher Tolkien mm-hmm. gives names yeah. for all the different planets oh. in uh, in Elvish. Well, uh, well, we won't ever get to the history of Middle Earth. It will be like seventy three <laughs> no, years prob- old. Doing probably not, because this is even one of the really late ones. It's like yeah. volume nine or ten or something. Oh, my my co host is <laughs> getting out of the hospital today, and so we might be a little sleepy. Air. And yeah. but today we're going to talk about what the elves called the planet Mercury. <laughs> Those of you still with us, now that we're on episode 579, yeah, no, no, no. no It'll no. be more like our kids. Seriously, yeah. So, so, so Dad was going to talk about this. I don't know why. Yeah. Why do they like these books so much? I don't know. Oh, they'll love these books. Are you kidding me? I know they will. I know. We'll, Had to start we'll make them love it. <laughs> That's right. You will. They'll love it. They won't eat. No, just kidding. <laughs> You get no. you get nothing but gruel until you say you love the Lord of the Rings. Then we'll go ahead and feed you some real food. No, we're not going to no. be uh, nearly as as kind as uh, Corey Olson when, he, when we talked to him. But um, you know, when he talked about not wanting to force. Tolkien oh yeah, on yeah, his yeah. Kids. yeah, yeah. We're definitely. I've already for, we're already reading the Hobbit. So we're already reading the Hobbit. I already read it a couple of times. Yeah. So they get to Lake Town, and I'm going to go ahead and pick up the next couple paragraphs. Not far from the mouth of the forest river was the strange town he heard the elves speak of in the king's cellars. It was not built on the shore, though there were a few huts and buildings there, but right out on the surface of the lake, protected from the swirl of the entering river by a promontory of rock which formed a calm bay. A great bridge made of wood ran out to where, on huge piles made of forest trees, was built a busy wooden town, not a town of elves, but of men who still dared to dwell here under the shadow of the distant Dragon Mountain. They still throve on the trade that came up the great river from the south and was carted past the falls to their town. But in the great days of old, when Dale in the north was rich and prosperous, they had been wealthy and powerful, and there had been fleets of boats on the waters, and some were filled with gold, and some with warriors in armor, and there had been wars and deeds which were now only a legend." The rotting piles of a greater town could still be seen along the shores when the waters sank in a drought. But men remembered little of all that, though some still sang old songs of the dwarf kings of the mountain, Thror and Thrain of the race of Durin, and of the coming of the dragon and the fall of the lords of Dale. Some sang, too, that Thror and Thrain would come back one day, and gold would flow in rivers through the mountain gates, and all that land would be filled with new song and new laughter. But this pleasant legend did not much affect their daily business. There we go. Interesting. There's a lot here yeah, to so talk history about. History has become legend now mm-hmm. for them, you know. And legend has become myth. <laughs> sorry, sorry. 
Five hundred <laughs> years. Hey, it's, anything that anything that makes me think of you know Kate Blanchett reading yeah, is not a bad cool dialogue. Thing. Is, That's true. Is, is not a bad thing. Yeah. That is true. Um, there is there's some really interesting stuff to talk about here. First off, uh, you know we talked last episode about Bilbo maybe making a swim for it across the cold river because he was you know afraid mm, he might right. die. Um, this is another thing that would absolutely freak out most hobbits. A city on yeah. a lake? I'm not going there. Your people yeah. are nuts. <laughs> yeah. That's a very good point. Uh, but a city on a That's lake. A very good point. I love it. There's just connected connected by a bridge, just basically up on these wooden, you know. Yeah, big um, logs, wooden, like piles, yeah. you know. Piles. Uh, That's the word I was looking, yeah, looking yeah, for. Yeah. yeah, piles. Yep. Unbelievable. You know, that, though, there's there, a, a, a cool technological. Um, oh, yeah. Technological you know, thing to imagine this. Yeah, you have to really, I mean, how deep would you have to drive those piles in order mm-hmm. to make sure that it wouldn't shift? Um, right. You know, because you're building a city on top of this. You don't want it to move much. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and, and obviously that, that that requires some. Yeah, unlike building a bridge or something where, you know, a, a little bit of a little bit of movement. You yeah, know, well, might and, be, and a lot might of the bridge okay. is going to be secured on the two sides, you know, in, uh, yeah, in the true. land. and. So you could handle a little bit of that. But here, you know, the entire city is balancing on these, you know, poles, uh, essentially, that are driven into the the lake bed. Um, But, you know, they are near shore. uh, So presumably this was something that that they could do. They didn't need, you know, fully trained scuba teams to build this. Right. uh, Which is good because they didn't have any. The thing that I really noticed here that just leaped off the page because I love history and uh, I, I love kind of, uh, I mean, I can't say I love archaeology. I don't know enough about it. But I, I, I love the idea of finding something old that tells you about something that happened in yeah. the past. And oh, I know here, where you're going. Yeah. You know the where sentence. I'm going. Yeah. The line, yeah. it's, a, it's at the end of that first paragraph, and it's just a throwaway line. The rotting piles of a greater town could still be seen along the shores when the water sank in the yeah. ground. Yeah. This is a literal ruin as a textual ruin. You know, we've, we've talked about the yeah. idea of textual ruins mm-hmm. um, and, and how there are elements in the story that remind you of the past of this tale, of something that happened right. before. Something we've talked that about before that from, you don't, you don't yeah. fully know about. The Cats it, of Queen Beruthio was something that yeah. we mentioned as yeah. a great example of a textual ruin. And they here, give depth to the world. They make the world exactly. feel real. Exactly. But you never find out. Everything about them. That's that's or the much whole about point. them at all. Yeah, and again, mm-hmm. we don't find anything here either. But mm-hmm. here we have a literal archaeological ruin that is serving the purpose of a textual ruin. Uh, oh, that's fantastic! Yeah. That's a great catch. I mean, this lake town that's visited by Thorne and Company is Lake Town Two, as an archaeologist would call mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. as we know from the end of this story, spoiler. A third one is going to be built. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Someday archaeologists will find it and say, I think Lake Town 2 was destroyed by fire. Yeah, and it you fell think? to the bottom of the lake, and there's a lot of burned wood, and <laughs> yeah. there's a dragon carcass nearby, so there's a clue. Um, <laughs> well done. Um, well done. Ratliff pointed out something here. He talked about, and I think he was actually citing Hammond and Skull in some of this, because they talked about how his knowledge of real history um, was something that he developed in order to create a feigned history. You know, his whole point here was to okay. create a, a believable historical right. story. And uh, he and, knew enough about real history he, to exactly. be able to create something convincing. 
Exactly. Yeah. That makes and, sense. And, yep. and here's that. Here's a quote from from Ratliff that I really thought was a little bit telling. Uh, a closer look at the evidence shows that Tolkien was very well versed indeed in prehistory. We have already seen how he modeled Medwed's Hall, that would be Bayorn's Hall, on modern archaeological reconstruction of a Norse mead hall. Similarly, in his 1932 Father Christmas letter, he drew on Paleolithic cave art. So too with Lake Town, which is closely modeled on the Neolithic lake dwellings, or Falbauten, which means pile structures, first discovered in Switzerland in 1854 on the shores of Lake Zurich. And Ralph goes on. I'm glad you pronounced that German word, not me. Fallbauten. 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 I, if it's not, I'm in a world of hurt. Somebody's going to tell me. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm fairly sure that's Fallbauten. Uh, so I'm, I mean, like 99% sure. I'm, I, I could be wrong. Well, you, There's you, always you, a you chance. Took some, you, you've got more German than I do. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm trusting you on that one. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't. I don't know what anything means anymore, but German has pretty consistent <laughs> pronunciation rules. So, um, yeah, and, and you know, I could probably spend 20 minutes talking about what Ratliff talked about there and, and going mm-hmm. into the, the history of that particular thing and the drawings that were made of it and how they seem to have inspired the drawing in the text of Lake Town. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's really interesting stuff. So if, if any of you have the history of The Hobbit, it is worth looking up that essay just to learn a little bit more about – Tolkien's incorporation of real-world archaeological mm-hmm. history to, to create a believable backdrop for this city of men that appears in one chapter and is never seen again in the Legendarium. Right. And that's, that's what I love about thing. it. Yeah. That's the amazing thing, just yeah. to back up this one. Yeah, this one something that happens Just for a few pages. It's um, amazing. It, yeah. it really is. You know, you know what I love about all this? I just noticed as you read that that sentence again, the, the rotting piles of a greater town. The older yeah. town was greater. Bigger. Mm-hmm. And, and that very gives medieval. us yeah. very medieval. We talked about the whole, the, the Enta Yawerk, you mm-hmm. know, the the work of giants, the, yeah. the medi- medieval people, especially medieval Anglo-Saxons were surrounded by all these all old the Roman, Roman ruins, ruins and yeah. things, you know, these these uh, structures that they could not possibly build. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, They had lost the technology. And Tolkien's world is very much like that. Tolkien's world, certainly in the Third Ages, is in decline. And so Mm -hmm. even here you see, um, you know, this lake town is not as great as, you know, an earlier town that had once been built here. That's fascinating. It is. You wonder how old that is. Is that from the age when they were great, when Dale in the North was rich and prosperous? I think it is. I wonder. 171 yeah. years. That would make sense. I mean, you got to figure wooden piles wouldn't that. last much longer than that. No, that's true. And in, in wet, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, but um, but that makes sense. I mean, that's based on what we know of the text. Mm-hmm. We know that that's when there was a great civilization right, here, a greater a great, town. town here. Yeah. I mean, it could be older, I guess, but it there's there's nothing be, yeah, to older. back that up. And it's no. conceivably it is the one that was there yeah. um, at the same time as Dale. Yep. Pretty amazing stuff. That, that, I mean, just to keep things simple, that's kind of where I'm yeah, landing. that's kind of where I'm landing as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it probably began further back than that 171, but it was probably, probably destroyed yeah. in that in that time frame or, you know, fell yeah. to, to ruin in that time frame. And that's worth noting because um, – you know, don't get the idea that they built out on this lake to protect themselves from the dragon because they were here long before the dragon was. That is true. That is true. Uh, though, you know, that's it, certainly a natural defense. It certainly helps. Yeah. You know, it's probably, yeah. Though, again, one would say building on a lake is a great idea to keep yourself safe from a dragon. 
building things out of wood, not so much. Building things on, on wood. Not so, so that much. all a dragon has to do is, um, you know, take out the piles underneath yeah. your city. Yeah, exactly. But So, uh, interesting. So, you know, but we still end up with you know, all this, this these old ruins, but men still don't remember any of it. It's all right. in the past. Right. It's just, yep. it's kind of an example of what you said. We don't, we don't have that anymore. And they've kind of moved past it. Like, well, that was what it used to be. It used to be greater. It's not greater anymore. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but a handful still remember the songs. And, you know, we've talked about how important song is, especially to men. I remember in our Tolkien Reading Day episode last year, we we talked a little bit about uh, some of the songs of men. In fact, I think the, the one we're going to read later in this chapter was one that we, we read in that episode. Oh, that's right. We did. Yeah, the, um, the, the Song of Prophecy. Yeah. And it, it does seem that often men's poetry, men's songs come around to that sort of thing, to poet, to, uh, to prophecy, I should say. They, they're, they're used to tell stories of the past and to talk about what's going to happen in yeah, the future. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I think it goes back to what we were just saying about their short lifespans. Yes. You know, um, dwarves, I suppose the dwarven songs that we've seen here mm-hmm. do talk about prophecies and they talk about history too. A little um, bit, yeah. But for men, I think that's, that's even still more important because yeah. that's how they preserve their history is yeah. through song. It's, a, it's an oral history for sure. I mean, this yeah. is a way to... To, to, to bring that, you know, to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Whereas you look at something like Elvish songs that are usually, you know, celebrations of the natural world in this book mm-hmm. or yep. maybe look at something like Namadier, oh, uh, Galadriel's yeah. Lament oh, so in beautiful. Fellowship. Um, you know, they're, they're talking about the natural world. They're, you know, lamenting the past. Um, it's not so much about telling a story. No. Men's poetry is definitely about telling a story. Very much so. And now, though, the men are telling a story, but they don't necessarily believe it. Nobody believes it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some do, but, but you know, as we'll find out, most don't. Um, mm-hmm. But they do, you know, the songs at least talk about the, uh, the king of the mountain coming back and that gold would flow in rivers and that all the land would be filled with new song and new laughter. Boy, isn't that last sentence telling? Well, this pleasant yeah. legend didn't much affect their daily business. Yeah. It's just a story. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Just a, just a pleasant legend. Oh, yeah. it's just a, just a. A little distraction, probably like, you know, yeah, probably like we think of fairy tales today. Exactly. You know, something to tell the kids. It's you know, just maybe something a fun to teach story. A lesson, but it's not something adults really think of that much. Yep, exactly. And that's sad. I think, you know, forgetting forgetting history, forgetting stories of the past, forgetting myth, I think. Oh, yeah. We'll see that later in this chapter. It's um, it's 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 kind of a cardinal sin in Tolkien's world, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and, I think and you're we'll right. And we'll see how, you know, the ones who forget the past um, – are not just doomed to repeat it, but but there's there's something morally lacking. I think yeah, in the people. I think who you're right. The there's there's definitely we see that as uh, the idea that yeah. remembering the past and and you know necessarily honoring it. That's kind of the wrong word, but like memorializing it would be a better way to put yeah, it. Yeah, well, that's a good word. Is yeah. is really crucial. You know, it's it's part yeah. of what maintains a cultural identity. Um, and, yeah, and you know that. Man, that's and those who forget that have no have yeah I don't want to say no cultural, cultural identity, identity. But they have they have less of a culturally cultural identity and maybe that's why people like that can can be ruled by a master ah, as opposed to a king maybe. I don't know yeah that, that could be um, so they get to shore uh, the men are going to come and take the casks the wood elves mm-hmm. uh, you know are going to uh, head into into town to to party with the men which I find interesting I love that that the, the that they're all feasting the raft, together. Yeah, that is kind of a that is kind of a cool thing. There's a yeah. little bit of you know, multiculturalism. There's yeah. you know the Lake Towners are cosmopolitan in their way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe not quite as cosmopolitan as they were featured in the film, which 
I'm not quite sure where mm-hmm. they they got some of the cultural ideas for Lake Town there, but um, you know at least they are are friendly with the Wood Elves, which is good. So yeah, um, I'm yeah. going to have you take that next uh, the next passage about uh, well, what does he find in the barrels? <laughs> right. Very good. They would have been surprised if they could have seen what happened down by the shore after they had gone and the shades of night had fallen. First of all, a barrel was cut loose by Bilbo and pushed to the shore and opened. Groans came from inside, and out crept a most unhappy dwarf. Wet (laughs) straw was in his draggled beard. He was so sore and stiff, so bruised and buffeted, he could hardly stand or stumble through the shallow water to lie groaning on the shore. He had a famished and a savage look, like a dog that has been chained and forgotten in a kennel for a week. It was Thorin, but you could only have told it by his golden chain, and by the color of his now dirty and tattered sky-blue hood with its tarnished silver tassel. It was some time before he would be even polite to the hobbit. "'Well, are you alive or are you dead?' asked Bilbo quite crossly. Perhaps he had forgotten that he had had at least one good meal more than the dwarves, and also the use of his arms and legs, not to speak of a greater allowance of air. "'Are you still in prison or are you free? If you want food, and if you want to go on with this silly adventure, it's yours after all and not mine,' You had better slap your arms and rub your legs and try and help me get the others out while there is still a chance. (laughs) It's really... He is very... The dad is really coming out. Is he? Yeah, he's just getting really cranky, (laughs) man. He's... Yeah. uh, Well, you know, he feels like, you know, they're they're ungrateful. They, They do not... And they are ungrateful they at are. this point. They you know, are. we'll see that in a moment. And okay, they they have good reasons. Um, <laughs> been in a barrel overnight, right? It hasn't really been a picnic for them. No. But um, but I think you know he's frustrated. He's like he worked so hard and he was invisible for so long. He he came up with this whole idea. Yeah. He executed this whole idea on on short time. Very short time. Successfully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know he doesn't really get. He doesn't get any appreciation no, for it. Not yet. yet. Not yet. Um, yeah. Of course he's getting a little cross, you know? Yeah. It's understandable. Of course it is. Thorin's, I love his description. I mean, you know, <laughs> the wet dog, basically. None too <laughs> yeah. pleased, you know? Um, very unhappy about it. But, you know, the next line, Thorin does see the sense of, of what Bilbo's telling him. And, yeah, uh, he, he may does. not be happy about it, but he recognizes we need to unpack these guys. Um, it's kind of like when, they get, when he got them out of the spider webs. You know, none of them are in great shape. Um, right. Only six dwarves could answer. <laughs> right. Uh, They're alive, but that's about it. Yeah. And it's kind of they the really are. Here. Yeah. None of them are very happy about it. And, and of course, Feely and Keeley, or, or just Feely, I think, was absolutely disgusted with the smell of apples. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I do. Uh, I do really like that. This uh, the idea of just like sort of torture by apple smell. Oh, goodness. I happen to love apples, and I love the smell of apples, and just to, to think of like. But for you know, over a day to, to would, be no exactly. I like it would. I would hate this. I would hate the smell of apples yeah, after that too. Yeah, yeah you really. Oh. And so I can really, I can really understand where he's coming from. But at the end of uh, at the end of all that, you know, Thorin ends up really kind of recognizing Bilbo's involvement, uh, and then and yeah. you had a catch here about um, about service that I thought was worth discussing. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's I remember that, you know, back at the beginning in chapter one, when when all the other dwarves were introducing themselves and they all said, you know, at your service in, mm-hmm. in various different ways, you know, yep. dwelling at your service, Feely, Keely at your service. Uh, the, the one who did not was Thorin. Yep. And the book he, made a point of saying that. 
and the book made a point of saying, yeah, saying he, you know, he didn't say anything about service. Um, but um, he didn't say that to Bilbo. Now, later on in the book, we do see Thorin say, at your service to Bayorn. Mm-hmm. He even says it to the Goblin King. <laughs> yeah. But he has, he has not said it to Bilbo. Which I think is phrased um, as a polite nothing. But uh, still, at least yeah. he said it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, at least he said it. At least he's showing some sort of recognition of the fact that this creature, the Goblin King, has power over him. Right. Uh, or that Bayorn has power over him. Um, this was, you know, this this had not happened with Bilbo before. <laughs> no, it now, not. in the last chapter, we did get a little, I'm sure we are all forever at your service, whatever happens after this. You know, this sort of a yeah. sort of a begrudging, like, okay, sure, yeah, we will be at your service. Um Back when he had freed the dwarves. But right. now, for him to say that we are all very much at your service once more, Mr. Baggins, that is yeah. a huge That's shift. a huge and step. It's, this is this more than just about anything, I think, shows how, how, you know, how much respect Thorne has for Bilbo at this point and how much he recognizes yeah. uh, the power shift that mm-hmm. has taken place in the party. Yeah. Bilbo's the leader now. Yeah, he really is. Now and you Thorin are gets the master. It, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. Only a master of evil, Darth. <laughs> I love, though, when they ask, like, well, Darth, what Vader. Anyway, I know. I know. Seriously, shouldn't it just be Vader? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I love it when they ask him, well, well, what should we do next? You're standing on the edge of a town. <laughs> it's the first we place go? where you could buy yeah. food or supplies since, well, since Bree. <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> where else point. are you going to go? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, Bilbo comes up with the obvious answer. Well, I suggest Lake uh, Town. Well, Lake Town. What else is there? Right. You I know. mean, what are we going to do? I guess we could skip it and go straight up north, but I think we How about probably... the place over there where there's fires burning and, and food. people having a good time and eating and drinking? Do I need to remind you that you all are still probably rather hungry? Except for yeah. except for you, Feely, who've probably eaten too many apples. Uh, let's go have a nice apple pie. Let's go. You will not ever no. want apples again. No, give him, a, give him a big old glass of apple juice and... Some applesauce and a steaming apple pie. And <laughs> just watch him just like hurl the whole time. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and That's read. That's just cruel, man. It is. I know. That's cruel. Poor Feely. Well, it's Feely. I mean, you know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Leaving the others, Thorin and Feely and Keeley and the Hobbit went along the shore to the Great Bridge. There were guards at the head of it, but they were not keeping very careful watch, for it was so long since there had been any real need. Except for occasional squabbles about river tolls, they were friends with the wood elves. Other folk were far away, and some of the younger people in the town openly doubted the existence of any dragon in the mountain and laughed at the graybeards and gammers who said they had seen him flying in the sky in their young days. That being so, it is not surprising that the guards were drinking and laughing by a fire in their hut and did not hear the noise of the unpacking of the dwarves or the footsteps of the four scouts. Their astonishment was enormous when Thorin Oakenshield stepped in through the door. "'Who are you and what do you want?' they shouted, leaping to their feet and groping for weapons. "'Thorin, son of Thrain, son of Thror, king under the mountain,' said the dwarf in a loud voice. And he looked it, in spite of his torn clothes and draggled hood. The gold gleamed on his neck and waist. His eyes were dark and deep. "'I have come back. I wish to see the master of your town.' Then there was tremendous excitement. Some of the more foolish ran out of the hut as if they expected the mountain to go golden in the night and all the waters of the lake turn yellow right away. <laughs> that's that's a fun detail. I it love is. that. 
oh, 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 oh the prophecies come true. There's the, the mountain yeah. still not yellow. It's like there's the hardly anybody remembers the old stories, and half the ones who do are <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like really, dude. You thought like you that, thought it was just gonna happen, just like instantly. that. There's a lot of that though. A lot of thinking it's there just is. gonna happen. Is what is we'll there see. There is. I know we're going to talk about some more of that there. Yeah, yeah. more of that later. Yeah. So I love this little scouting party. I'm a little surprised that Thorin is part of the the scouting party. Um, you would kind of think he would stay back. And, yeah. I mean, it's a good thing he does go with them because he's right. you know the one with the authority. He's the king. But it is yeah. interesting because it violates that that uh, Federation Prime directive about putting him in the. <laughs> you know, who did we decide? Well, whether it's Feely or Keeley. Whichever one is next right. in line, the, the, he's the, with them. The second in line for yeah, the next in line. But I don't for, think uh, I don't think they Dolphin really thought same. they were in danger of their lives here. I mean, it's Probably not, not as though no. they're enemies. You know, they're not. Um, they're, I would I would think that they would feel more more secure than they did dealing with the Elven King. I mean, there was no hostility oh, between certainly dwarves yeah, and men. between them and men. Right, and they know they are obviously they're getting closer to their ancestral home. Yeah, um, at least you know Thorin, you know, having grown up here, he probably feels more comfortable. This is a place he's more familiar with. He mm-hmm. probably feels he probably just feels more confident. Sure. Um, let alone the fact that you know we know that dwarves are perfectly comfortable in men's settlements. We That's know true. That's true. From the quest for Erebor, that they you know they spent some time in Bree, mm-hmm. and you know. Yeah, that's true. A lot more. They've so been than in situations. Exactly. True. Yeah. So w- there's one more thing that that I like about this. Um, you know, we talked uh, briefly about the guards. Uh, uh-huh. You know, the, the guard at the beginning of that passage you read. There's guards at the head of it, but they're not keeping a watch no. because you know there's who, who not. They, they just against? haven't had any. Yeah. They haven't had any enemies for right. a really long time. Right. Um, and then we get how the younger people in the town not only doubted the existence of the dragon, but they laughed at the people who believed yeah. in it. Full on mockery. And yeah, full on mockery, and and as I said earlier, you know this is a a sign of foolishness. Oh, yeah. uh, you know how foolish they are for Tolkien, and for some reason I'm reminded of Mythopoeia, which it's mm. been a while since we talked about Mythopoeia. But yeah, um, yes. going back to some of our what our second episode, second I think we episode, yeah, episode two. It's a it's a poem celebrating the the value of myth in the modern age, and there's mm-hmm. a there's a passage in that poem that I'm reminded of here. He says. Blessed are the legend makers with their rhyme of things yes. not found within recorded time. It is not they that have forgot the night or bid us flee to organize delight in lotus isles of economic bliss. Hmm. Um, he goes on a bit from there, but I, I just love that little snippet because, you know, it, it reminds us that um, there is truth in myths. And, you know, you yeah. may laugh at the graybeards and the gammers who are saying these crazy stories, but... Um, hey, if you don't, Tolkien is saying in his poem, if you don't believe these old legends, it's not because they're crazy. It's because you don't remember. Exactly. And that's what's going on here with with the lake, the young Lake Towners. They're just sort of so wrapped up in their modern, this organized delight and economic bliss that they just, they don't want to remember. What a way they to They probably don't it. want to think that a dragon could come out of the mountain no. at any moment. And, you know, no, that's true. And destroy their and destroy it all success. Yeah. 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 So I love the so, moment when, when uh, Thorin steps into the guard hut. And poof, the lights go out, and he falls asleep, enchanted. <laughs> that would be amazing Wouldn't if that, that happened. Would have been cool? He just steps that would have been hut fantastic. Poof, little sparks fly up, and the next thing you know, he's dreaming about whatever food the men are eating. <laughs> okay, just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, a little bit of a digression. Out, why does this keep happening it's to like, me? No. I don't know why. He wakes up going, not again. <laughs> not again. Oh, no, not again. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, this is the first appearance of men in the story, though. And I, I think this yep. is really interesting. Um, 
you know, as we'll get to, as we start to see that, you know, he wants to see the master of your town. So Thorne obviously knows how this town is, is running. He's not saying, I want to see your king. Uh, you know, he, he knows True. the organization of this town. This is really the only oligarchy, for lack of a better word, of men that we really ever see in the legendarium. You know, you Rohan, uh, you know, has, has a king. Gondor has mm-hmm. a king or should have a king. You know, it has a steward and a king. And even its steward is a hereditary Exactly. A hereditary it's a hereditary office. office. Yeah. And then even Lake Town 3 becomes part of the kingdom of Dale. So, mm, you know, true. so even this town's successor will no longer, you know, will, will then end up falling under a king again. And I think that there's something to be said it's for like that. It's like there will be a return of a king. Gee, you think? That's the thing, you know. I mean, <laughs> Tolkien, very much a, a monarchist, if you read his letters. Um, and it's interesting that we see that here, that that this is kind of, because it doesn't have a king, we end up seeing it kind of portrayed in a negative light. Uh, certainly the mm-hmm. master himself is. Um, but but mm-hmm. even the town, even its kind of authority is is questioned because it doesn't have that um, that that authority that it doesn't have that that yeah, yeah. it doesn't have a royal right uh, a, a son of the people uh, yeah you know, unifying living, living, the people living, yeah 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 so but it that's is an interesting. interesting thought to connect that to um, just you know the problems in Lake Town as a whole yeah I mean even even Thorin you know he's king under the mountain this is the 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 king of Erebor. Um, yeah. And of course, when asked, he identifies himself with that regal authority. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Right. And just as. A... And, 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 you Go know, on. you're right. I mean, we Tolkien definitely seems to have been a monarchist based on his letters. And I know we could probably analyze oh, sure, some of his sure. famous quotes endlessly and probably get a lot of mail on you know, what sure Tolkien's actual will. political beliefs were. Yeah, yeah. I think what's interesting is. Um, I've got five bucks on somebody saying anarchy in, in, in the next, in, in one of our <laughs> emails. He, because he does, he does yeah, say that. There yeah. is that one. There is that one quote. You yeah. just have to take um, it in context, but yes, take it in context. Yeah, and and he he immediately qualifies. Oh, yeah. he clarifies he exactly that. what he means by that. But um, but I think you know he's in addition to whatever he believed himself, he's playing with um this this medieval concept. Yes. of, you know, a, a land without a king, and how how horrible things happen when a land is without a king. You know, so much of the King Arthur myth. Yeah. Um, is is based on you know sort of the. The return of a king, having King Arthur, um, you know, come, come back, back and sort Avalon. of renew the land. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and even and, and when we, lot... um, going back to chapter two, I think it was when they were, before they found the trolls, they were talking about the lands they were going oh, through like, and how people hadn't heard of the king. They've never heard of the king And here. we yeah. talked about how that meant that they were they were lawless in a way. That they, Uncivilized. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. Was, it was definitely in the context of, of being a negative, which... For us in yeah. in America, especially you know where we've really kind of rejected the rule of kings, we've had to really kind of try to view that from a different perspective and look at that medievalist right. sort of yeah. concept, and say that you yeah. know a king represents all that is good, all that is noble, all that is righteous right. and just, um, and the right. assumption is that a king will rule justly. Yeah. So yeah, amazing. Yeah. And so and so that's why I think it's it's worthwhile to separate the literary. The literary concept of what a king represents to these people from, you know, whatever a king may be in the sure. real world. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and obviously not all kings rule justly, but certainly in this in this sort of medieval context that he's coming from, yeah. that Tolkien's coming from. And that is an important um, distinction. You're right. A land without a king is a land in trouble. Yeah, it's a Period. land without law. It's a land without yeah. guidance, a yeah. land without wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, one little thing to note that in the manuscripts, I know we've seen the names Thrain and Thror before. Hey, that rhymes. Um <laughs> 
this was actually the first time in the manuscripts that those names were would appear. Uh, and so that was oh. kind of interesting. But that was because at this point in the story, Blood Orthon was renamed Gandalf and Gandalf was renamed Thorin. <laughs> so this is the point of the story from which he's writing with That's right. the names that in that the they manuscript, had. this was actually Thorin. It was no longer Gandalf. Okay. And uh, okay. I think Ratliff observed that, you know, maybe maybe Tolkien just couldn't allow himself to have the King of the Dwarves be named, you know, Elf Wand. <laughs> wand Elf, yeah. Or Wand Elf, yeah. So Very interesting. I just thought that was an interesting little So many good catches point. like that in Ratliff. Yeah. It's oh, um a ton. It's a it's, great it's, observation. It's a, a gold mine. Yeah. I know. I mean we could if if we really actually You're really, dug you're into really it, good at finding those little things in there. That's that's uh, really cool. It's just a lot of fun. I mean there's more, but you know, we could we would spend hours on every chapter instead of Oh yeah. You yeah. Know, yeah. Um, and we would basically just be reading Ratliff's book. We to really you, would, which, which, would, which would probably make him mad. You know, I, right. I, you know, I'm grateful for for John Ratliff's work. I don't want him to be mad at me. Just go buy. Just go just buy his go book. Buy it. It's we have a link know, to it a, in our library. Please go get yes, it. There's a single volume edition. Uh, yes. I think there's still some two volume editions. I don't know if the two volume might come in paperback, um, but the the single oh, no, volume. No, no. I have a I have a one volume hardcover. Yeah, I have a one volume hardcover, and it's it matches. Visually, with the three-volume History of Middle Earth set, yeah, um, yeah, it does. And it, you know, works well with that on the shelf. So interesting that there's a captain of the guard here. Later, we find that Bard is the captain of a company of archers, and and Ratliff That's speculates right. that yep. it's possible that Bard is the captain of the guard. That's which right. is yep. very interesting, given the fil- the fact that the film makes him the, an absolute antagonist to the captain of the guard. Yeah, uh, but anyway, oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is true. So um, the film does make him the first person that they actually talk to, though. Uh huh. Yeah, that is true. There is that. Yeah, which was cool. I, I did like that. Yeah. But yeah, they made him very much a ne'er do well. Um, yeah. Know, in, the, in the film, and there's certainly nothing yeah. of that here. Let me uh, let me have you take the next little bit. We've got where the captain uh, captain of the guard has some things to say. Okay. If you come in peace, lay down your arms," said the captain. "We have none," said Thorin, and it was true enough. Their knives had been taken from them by the wood elves and the great sword Orcus too. Bilbo had his short sword hidden as usual, but he said nothing about that. We have no need of weapons who return at last to our own as spoken of old, nor could we fight against so many. Take us to your master. He is at feast, said the captain. Then all the more reason for taking us to him, burst in Feely, who was getting impatient at these solemnities. We are worn and famished after our long road, and we have sick comrades. Now make haste and let us have no more words, or your master may have something to say to you. <laughs> Indeed he might. This is the first time we find out that Orchrist is gone. But, I mean, it only makes sense. That's true. I mean, it all, does their, make sense all their that... weapons would have been taken. Yeah, and and especially the uh, elvish sword. Yeah, the first age Gondolin sword. Right. Yeah, <laughs> would be taken by the um, by the elf who loves treasure and yeah. and hates the fact that dwarves have stolen some of elves' treasures before. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do love though that that Sting is still there, and Bilbo just kind of <laughs> can see him like with his yeah. hands behind his back. Oh, okay. And nothing to see <laughs> here, folks. Just, nothing to see. Move here. along. Move along. Uh, Good thing there were no goblins around because suddenly, you yeah. know, be like, why is there what a is blue, blue light behind your back? Why is the <laughs> hobbit's leg glowing blue? <laughs> do they do that? Hidden as usual. How does he hide that sword? I just want to know. Maybe I don't want to know. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, what are we going to do? We're going to fight against you? There's four of us. <laughs> You've got an entire yeah. town at your disposal. Yeah. Um, Feely's response would be different if he found out that the master was eating some sort of, you know, it, it's it's our fall apple festival. Oh, never mind. I, <laughs> don't, don't, take, don't take me there. Don't take us. We'll, we'll go. We'll fend for ourselves. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so they do decide to, you know, they do lead them uh, into the town. Uh, we get a little bit of description of the town itself and the the, the tall piles on which were built the greater houses and things like that. And then I'm going to go ahead and read this next uh, fairly lengthy section uh, about their arrival in, um, in the hall. All right. From one great hall shone many lights, and there came the sound of many voices. They passed its doors and stood blinking in the light, looking at long tables filled with folk. I am Thorin, son of Thrain, son of Thor, king under the mountain. I return, cried Thorin in a loud voice from the door before the captain could say anything. All leaped to their feet. The master of the town sprang from his great chair, but none rose in greater surprise than the raft men of the elves who were sitting at the lower end of the hall. Pressing forward before the master's table, they cried, These are prisoners of our king that have escaped. "'wandering vagabond dwarves that cannot give any good account of themselves, "'sneaking through the woods and molesting our people.' "'Is this true?' asked the master. "'As a matter of fact, he thought it far more likely "'than the return of the king under the mountain, "'if any such person had ever existed. "'It is true that we were wrongfully waylaid by the elven king "'and imprisoned without cause as we journeyed back to our own land,' "'answered Thorin. "'But lock nor bar may hinder the homecoming spoken of old.' nor is this town in the Wood Elves' realm. I speak to the master of the town of the men of the lake, not to the raftman of the king. Oh, my goodness. Love yeah. that. Love that. I love Thorin. Talking down a little to the raft elves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not these raftmen. These pathetic little... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do love the presence of Thorin when he steps forward. And, and before the captain can say, yeah. you know... Master, yeah. uh, we have some guests. No, he, he just jumps in. Boom. This is who I am. Yeah. I'm back. I return. Yeah. yeah. I'm Definitely back. Definitely. <laughs> he knows who he is, and yeah. he makes sure everybody in that room knows who he exactly. is. Exactly. And there is, there's no, uh, there's, there's not a hint of an uncertain ruler here. I mean, this guy is. Oh, he is confident. He, he is, he is confident. Yeah. Does yeah. not lack in confidence. Uh, everybody just taken aback by this, you know, up on your feet. Uh, and of course, yep. you know, the, the first people to complain are the Wood Elves. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But notice that the master, oh, these... you know, he's not necessarily, necessarily sure to believe the Wood Elves, but he believes that that's more likely than the fact that this is actually the return of the king into the mountain. He's not even sure that such a person ever existed. Yep. Wow. So we know the master is one of those people who doesn't believe the old stories. Yep. And boy, is or, or to he, his... To... Or, he, or he has plenty of reason to disbelieve. He, he, yeah, he to tends disbelieve. to disbelieve, let's yeah. say. Yeah. And that is not to his credit. No. No. But Thorin's response, man, he is just right there with, look, actually, what happened is this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we were wrongfully waylaid by the Elven King. Yeah. And imprisoned without, without cause. cause. I love that, that the, the, yeah. the Wood Elves say that they were sneaking through the woods and molesting our people. I frankly felt yeah. like Thorin was going to say, well, actually, no, we were just starving. 
yeah. <laughs> because that is all they were doing. <laughs> he'd, he'd do his do his starving bit again. What did no, you, we were starving. What did you say something about? How dare you starve so loudly in my forest? <laughs> Your riot and clamor. I loved that. That was brilliant, Sean. Absolutely brilliant. That's right. I all do the elves, the, the elves are complaining about your riot yeah. and your clamor disturbed. You know, riot and clamor. We were just dying. That's all. We were just dying. Oh goodness. Yeah. Uh, but that yeah, was he, our stomachs he, growling yeah, exactly. before we finally gave up. Exactly. Uh, never mind that y'all were, you know, harping and singing and, you know, yeah. partying and having yeah. general general fun. But I, yeah. even though we're not going to read the next bit, we see the master is kind of like, hmm, what do I do? He's very calculating, right? Mm, he doesn't yeah. want to tick off the elven king. Uh, but, you know, he's he's not sure because he knows that, you know, all these songs are very popular. They're, they're you know, in heavy rotation on the local radio station. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, <laughs> and he doesn't really end up having very much time to decide. the The matter ends up no, being decided people, for him. Yeah, the people decide for him. Yeah. And what do they do? Well, some began to sing snatches of old songs concerning the return of the king under the mountain. That it was Thor's grandson, not Thor himself, that had come back, did not bother them at all. Others took up the song, and it rolled loud and high over the lake. Hmm. The king beneath the mountains, the king of carven stone. The Lord of Silver Fountains shall come into his own. His crown shall be upholden, his harp shall be restrung. His halls shall echo golden to songs of yore resung. The woods shall wave on mountains and grass beneath the sun. His wealth shall flow in fountains in the river's golden run. The streams shall run in gladness, the lakes shall shine and burn. All sorrow fail and sadness at the mountain king's return. I love that. What a what a oh. it's a powerful song. It, it is. is it is a powerful song of um it's yeah the prophecy. You know, we talked about it. it's prophetic. Um it's uh it's, it's, it's all, all very renewal. positive. It's kind, of, it's kind of apocalyptic, you know, in a positive sense. In a, in know, a positive the, sense. That's the thing. I yeah, mean, about about a rebirth. Yeah. And um I mean there's a hint I that's believe, there about destruction, but only if you know the story yeah. that the lake shall yeah. shine and burn. Uh, but that's right. not what that's oh, yeah. not what I don't think but is. That's not literally what they mean. No, yeah, I they're, think they're talking about the, the you know, gold, the, the streams shining gold. Exactly, yeah. and because I mean, look at yeah. the very next line: "All sorrow fail and sadness." Mm-hmm. In other words, there will be no sorrow, there will be no sadness. They fail when the mountain king yeah. comes back. Uh, yeah, and, and clearly that's not going to happen. And that's if, what I mean by apocalyptic. Yes, is the, you know the sort of the the. This is the good know, end of the world, the catastrophic right, end of the exactly. world. <laughs> yeah, the, the rebirth. The rebirth. The rebirth of this world. Of this. I, I noticed, though, I, the, the second stanza really does remind me a little bit of the Misty Mountains Cold poem from, from the very first chapter, only because of the, mount, the mentioning of the crown, the harp, uh, the songs echoing in halls. That's very reminiscent of, uh, of, the, hmm, that's a good catch. of the Misty Mountains Cold. Uh, so, you know, you wonder how much of this uh, maybe comes from things they'd heard from the dwarves. You wonder if it's based on the on the, on the the old dwarven song. Right. Maybe they'd heard snippets, snippets of the it, old right. dwarves or, or heard the whole song, and this is sort of a retelling or That's exactly, translation. That's exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it almost makes me think that, or at least that, that portion of thought. it, yeah. Um, but I think the other thing that jumped out at me in this entire deal, in this whole song, everything's just supposed to happen. Nobody does mm-hmm. anything. <laughs> There's no well. That's like and he shall do that's this. That's like the people who. I mean, the only yeah, thing that I he mean, does that's... is that he'll come into his own. But everything else, you know, it's it's not that he restrings his harp, or his people sing songs. It's his hall shall like a golden to songs of your resung. It's all passive. 
Uh, it's all, frankly, if I yeah. and I'm probably stretching the point too much. They don't. They don't really talk about who. They don't really talk about a subject. No, no. There's no, like said, nobody doing voice. anything. Right. There's nobody yeah. accomplishing anything. And to me, yeah. that it kind of speaks of their reliance on fate to make this happen. You know, um, mm. it, it, which makes in turn makes me think of the dwarves and their tendency to count the gold is already theirs. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. they don't even think about any effort. They don't even bring as any opposed weapons. To, as opposed to Bilbo, who has a combination of luck and fate, exactly. luck slash fate, we've, and the wits, the wits and, to and, use the, and the agency to yes. know how to use it. Yeah. That's the thing. And we've talked about the role of luck or the role of fate, but we've also talked mm-hmm. about the necessity to use the wisdom or wit to accomplish things and that luck will then kind of intervene from time to time. You can't just yeah. sit back and expect those things to happen. You have to go do. Right. And then the luck comes. It's interesting. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, it's like the, you know, the people going out and expecting that the mountain would go golden in the night. Right. The water's already. Immediately. Yellow, you know, like, oh, Thorin's here. Oh, I guess everything's cool now. All of our problems are solved. <laughs> you know. No, it's, no, that's not the way it works. No. But, you know, now that this song has been sung, uh, the master really doesn't have much of a choice in terms of how he's going to respond. He, as the text no, says, definitely obeys the general clamor. <laughs> he obeys the general clamor. That's That was the part that reminded me of uh, Oradreth from the first stage. Oh, yeah, Oradreth. You're right, the consummate politician. <laughs> we, we talked about I him. I wondered yeah. who you were and, talking about when you said that. I was like, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, because you know, you was a bit at, of a politician, um, but that doesn't sound like who you're talking about. Yeah, no, because he, he was more very... of a controller. Oradreth was the one who just you know took over Nargothrond after yep. after Finrod mm-hmm. moved on to greener pastures, and um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, after after being far in a greener dungeon. pastures yeah. in the uttermost west. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, Oradreth, you know, just he was kind of weak. Mm-hmm. He kind of just you know followed the yeah. followed the wind. You know, like well, what if you all right? We'll listen to. Gorman Kurifin. Sure, why while, not? You know. you know. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. He was rather a weak leader. So, it, interestingly, Bilbo's given a place of honor here along with Thorn and Feely and Keeley. Uh, yeah. But you made an interesting catch, didn't you? Because in a couple paragraphs, we yeah. get something, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we do. It's... Uh, it's interesting. In just a couple of paragraphs, we're told that for three days, he, Bilbo, right. sneezed and coughed, and he could not go out. And even after that, his speeches at banquets were limited to the classic line, yeah. thank you very much. Yep. Um, and yet in Lord of the Rings, at the long-expected party, Bilbo actually says that September 22nd, his birthday, was the anniversary of his arrival, um, and I'll quote here a little bit, mm-hmm. by Beryl at Esgaroth on the Long Lake. Though the fact, that, the fact that it was my birthday slipped my memory on that occasion. I was only 51 then, and birthdays did not seem so important. The banquet was very splendid, however, though I had a bad cold at the time, I remember, and could only say thank you very much. So reconciling this account yeah. of actually going to the banquet with the fact that for three days he sneezed and coughed and couldn't leave. Right. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't really know how it's to, a question, isn't it? I, I'm how to sure. reconcile this. I mean, we're not told that he said anything in this particular banquet, but we know that after this, he didn't go out for three days because of his cold. And it was only then that thank you very much is mentioned. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's specifically mentioned that he says it at banquets later on and it's not mentioned here. So it's just a little weird. Maybe Bilbo's memories are a little off. He remembers. It could be that his memory is just a little off. He remembers the banquets all happening in that time frame, but yeah. yeah. 
And he remembers being, you know, he remembers trying to stand up and giving a speech and, and only being able to say, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. But yeah, he can't remember specific dates and things like That's that. That's okay. He obviously wasn't feeling well. So, of course, he probably, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember what no, happened a couple I'm sick, months ago I don't when remember. I was feeling sick. No. I can't remember what happened a couple of weeks ago when I was healthy, but that's a whole other problem. Right. That's, that's... All right. Yeah, you don't need to worry. Well, about that's that. just getting older, but you know, hey, we're not Bilbo old yet. No, we're not. Not quite. Well, I'm, I'm getting awfully close to Bilbo's birthday. Sadly, <laughs> I'm what a oh yeah, you little are over you? a year away from 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 my September twenty second. Except it won't be in September, but we'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll definitely leave it there. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and pick up uh, as the dwarves settle in. So it, as they settle in, basically they're they're given a house, they're they're fed. I mean, everything is like woohoo! You know, we're so glad you're here. Uh, and then they get like their own custom, you know, choir <laughs> set up. <laughs> I mean, seriously, they're given a big house. I imagine, I imagine hordes of screaming teenage girls, like when the Beatles landed at JFK oh my in 1964. See, I was thinking of almost like the master sending out like specific choirs, but yeah, that that could work too. I love that boats and rowers were put up at their service. That's like they're given free Uber rides. You know, <laughs> uh, around town. But so this yeah. uh, this choir, what do they sing? Well, some of the songs were old ones, but some of them were quite new and spoke confidently of the sudden death of the dragon and of cargoes of rich presents coming down the river to Lake Town. These were inspired largely by the master, and they did not particularly please the dwarves. But in the meantime, they were well contented, and they quickly grew fat and strong again. Indeed, within a week, they were quite recovered, fitted out in fine cloth of their proper colors, with beards combed and trimmed and proud steps. Thorin looked and walked as if his kingdom was already regained and Smaug chopped up into little pieces. <laughs> I know. I love that. That can't be good. That can't, no, that's not. No, it cannot. It's not good foresight. No. Then, as he had said, the dwarves' good feeling towards the little hobbit grew stronger every day. There were no more groans or grumbles. They drank his health. And they patted him on the back, and they made a great fuss of him, which was just as well, for he was not feeling particularly cheerful. He had not forgotten the look of the mountain, nor the thought of the dragon, and he had besides a shocking cold. For three days he sneezed and coughed, and he could not go out, and even after that his speeches at banquets were limited to, Thank you very much. So There you go. Yeah, yeah. My goodness, so we get, again, song telling stories amongst men, mm-hmm. you know, and even if yep. they're wrong stories, even if they're not factual stories, uh, it is how they tell stories. It's it's these songs mm-hmm. that tell of these amazing things. Speaking uh, confidently of the sudden yeah. death of the dragon, again, passive you know, and yeah, passive. Yeah. Yep. Oh, the, dra- the dragon's just suddenly going to die. <laughs> That's how this is going to oh, play out. Oh, Thorin's here. I'll just crawl into a corner and die. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and all of a sudden, rich presence, you know, it's not just trade. It's just flat out gift. <laughs> yeah. Here's some Which money. Which that didn't please the dwarves yeah. very much. <laughs> yeah, dwarves, uh, that's part of my 14th. Who's 14th is yeah. coming down here? Um, yeah. But dwarves do continue to grow their respect for Bilbo. But I think the key here really is Thorin's, uh, shall we say, advanced chicken counting. <laughs> um, I mean, really, yeah. this yeah. is... It's such a vivid image, too. Like, you know. <laughs> and smoke chopped And smoke up. chopped up into little pieces. It's such a great little bit of narrative um, um, hyperbole. It really you know, is. That really minced smog pie. That really accentuates. It, what it does is it accentuates the ridiculousness exactly. of Thorns. How ridiculous Thorns is thought, it to imagine a, a dragon chopped up into little pieces? Right. 
<laughs> and that's just how ridiculous it is that Thorne thinks his his kingdom's already regained. Yeah, yeah, you know, you, you, he's so far from that. You really are. You, you've got some. You've got some time to go before you get there. Yeah, um, you're you're not there yet. No, you are not. But you are not a king yet. <laughs> now we actually, rather than skipping anything, you actually read the next two paragraphs, don't you? Yep. Yep. In the meanwhile, the wood elves had gone back up the forest river with their cargoes and there was great excitement in the king's palace. I have never heard what happened to the chief of the guards and the butler. <laughs> Nothing, of <laughs> Nothing course, was good. ever said about keys. Yeah, I know, right? Nothing, of course, was ever said about keys or barrels while the dwarves stayed in Lake Town, and Bilbo was careful never to become invisible. Well, yeah. Still, I dare say, more was guessed than was known, though doubtless Mr. Baggins remained a bit of a mystery. In any case, the king knew now the dwarves' errand, or thought he did, and he said to himself, Oh, now i got to do my Thrandall voice. Yeah. Very well. We'll see. No treasure will come back through Mirkwood without my having something to say in the matter. But I expect they will all come to a bad end and serve them right. Oh, serve them right. I know, right? Harsh. That That is pretty. That is really harsh, actually. I hope they die. I mean, really, that's yeah. terrible. That is, I don't know. Maybe I was a little too hard on movie Thrandall and his, <laughs> uh, his hatred of dwarves. Um. He, at any rate, did not believe in dwarves fighting and killing dragons like Smaug, and he strongly suspected attempted burglary or something like it, which shows he was a wise elf and wiser than the men of the town, though not quite right, as we shall see in the end. He sent mm -hmm. out his spies about the shores of the lake and as far northward towards the mountain as they would go, wow. and waited. Yeah. I love how his first, um, <laughs> his first answer to this is an economic answer. <laughs> you know? I mean, you're not going to be able to get my tre your treasure through my land oh, without right. me yeah, getting yeah, to have point. some input on this. Right. Without, yeah, without me getting point. a piece of this pie. There's going to be a toll. Yeah. yeah. He's been dealing with the master and with Lake Town so long that he's beginning to think like them. To think in trade and tolls yeah. like the master. Yeah. yeah. Um, poor guard captain and butler. I mean, <laughs> Poor guard captain and the butler. We don't find out what happened, but. It can't be a good I'm, thing. Guessing at least two of those cells were not empty for a <laughs> while. For a little while. Yeah, I don't think they got promoted. I don't think, you know, nope. the, the, I don't know where you would get promoted from either of those nope. positions. But um, Poor Galleon. Still, poor Galleon. And the unnamed, the unnamed other the one. The unnamed captain. That's too funny. Uh, but the king, I mean, you know, he he's pretty close oh, yeah. to guessing Very what Thorne's plan well, is. Well, you know, he just thinks about it logically. Well, let's see. Twelve dwarves with almost no weapons. I mean, I've got orchestra right here. Uh, are right. going to go try to take on a dragon that ate an entire town. Right. <laughs> What's going to happen right. there? Uh, yeah. Okay, so and they're going to die. Fine. <laughs> it's fine with me. Uh, in the meantime, you know, that means they must have some other approach. They're probably not going to yeah. try an open attack. So what would they do? Oh, maybe they'll steal something from his ord. Yeah. yeah. He figures it out. Pretty close. But then that, that raises the question that I think Bilbo raises in a couple of chapters. It's like, what are, are you expecting to steal the treasure armful, like one armful at a time? Basically, that would take the rest of your life. Uh, good stuff. So they're there for a couple of weeks, um, and they begin to think about leaving. The enthusiasm he realizes we got to strike while the iron's hot. Really, I mean that's yeah, the yeah. deal. We've got to, you know, if we let this kind of momentum cool down, if we let this popularity wane. Yeah. We're not going to get what we need. We're not going to get the support we have. Right. Right. You know, 
the the phrase that comes to my mind, he's got political capital with the people yes. of Lake Town right Yeah, now. you're right. Use it now. now. I know Thorin is not an elected official, but it's the same yeah, concept. It it's you still know, absolutely he's, political He's got capital. the people behind him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Use it while you have it. And he wants to take advantage of that. Yeah, use it or lose it. So I'm going to go ahead and do our last reading of the chapter, and it'll actually take us through the end of the text. Okay. Then for the first time, the master was surprised and a little frightened, and he wondered if Thorin was, after all, really a descendant of the old king's. He had never thought that the dwarves would actually dare to approach Smaug, but believed they were frauds who would sooner or later be discovered and be turned out. He was wrong. Thorin, of course, was really the grandson of the king under the mountain, and there is no knowing what a dwarf will not dare and do for revenge or the recovery of his own. But the master was not sorry at all to let them go. They were expensive to keep, and their arrival had turned things into a long holiday in which business was at a standstill. Kind of like March Madness, I'm thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Let them go and bother Smaug and see how he welcomes them, he thought. Certainly, O Thorin Thrain, son Thor's son, was what he said. You must claim your own. The hour is at hand, spoken of old. What help we can offer shall be yours, and we trust to your gratitude when your kingdom is regained. So one day, although autumn was now getting far on and winds were cold and leaves were falling fast, three large boats left Lake Town, laden with rowers, dwarves, Mr. Baggins, and many provisions. Horses and ponies had been sent round by circuitous paths to meet them at their appointed landing place. The master and his counselors bade them farewell from the great steps of the town hall that went down to the lake. People sang on the keys and out of windows which is actually better than singing in the windows and out of keys, because that would sound like they were singing out of key. <laughs> Sorry. Well done. That, that, was, like a, that. that was a pun, a, you know, years in the making. That was, that, was a, that was fantastic. It was actually right at the spur of the moment. I was like, sang on the keys. <laughs> I never sing on keys, so. <laughs> um, the white oars dipped and splashed, and off they went north up the lake on the last stage of their long journey. The only person thoroughly unhappy was Bilbo. <laughs> which is just See? awesome. And yeah, you're right. Absolutely He's, right at the beginning of the chapter. Starts and ends on Bilbo thinking about what's yeah. coming next. And He's the only one who's wise enough to realize what this means. They're entering yeah. the last stage of their journey. What exactly does that mean? <laughs> that means danger. We have danger. to figure out what to do about the dragon. Yeah, yeah. As bad as the forest was, as bad as the goblins were, we've got a dragon to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one thing we didn't, we did, mention it, but we didn't go too far into it, at the end of a fortnight. So we're looking now, it's probably about October 5th or 6th, uh, depending on whether the fortnight okay, yeah. counted. Thank you for doing the math. Yeah, right. yeah. So, uh, you know, no wonder it's turning cold. You know, I mean, we are again in a northern yeah. northern climb, so uh, it's, it's, you know, it's going to be very cold. Winds are cold, leaves are off the trees. Um, it's getting to be time. You you made the joke about March Madness, you know, <laughs> the master being happy yeah, to see him go. Yeah. Economic it's, uh, standstill, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very very key that he's not happy to see them go because he thinks, oh, they're going to go take care of the dragon problem. They're going to no. bring peace to this land. No, he's worried about the ledger. He's yes. They're bad for commerce. They're terrible for commerce. They cost us gone. A, a ton of money and mm-hmm. they cost us a ton of generated income. You know, it's like we're not only yep. are we spending money, we're making less. At the same time, right. so it's a double hit. Right. Um, yep. You know the 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 GDP of Lake Town has gone down 
has over gone the down last, since Thor over the and last Thor two showed weeks. Up the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's yeah. a big party, and and uh, you know, it's that's why I, I analogize it to March Madness. Every year when that comes around, for those of you who don't live in the United States, March Madness is the name for a college basketball tournament involving. Well, it used to be 64 teams. Now I guess it's 65 with the play-in game. Uh, but it's, you know, all these rounds, single elimination rounds, and it goes on for, what, about two weeks, three weeks? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, and, and there's so much betting. And all, and all you see during, well, during this time is, you know. Everybody's got their Kind brackets. of all people talk about it. Yeah, the, yeah everybody's, everybody's got, got their, their brackets, brackets where they picked who's going to yeah. win what games. Picked who's going to win, who's going to go all the way to the championship. Yeah. And, and it's a yeah. huge thing, like office pools, you know, where people are betting money. Yeah. And they every year around the time that March Madness starts, you see these articles about how many billions of dollars March Madness is costing American businesses, um, which is very, you know. It's through, like, lack of productivity yeah, and yeah, lack yeah. of. People yeah. spending hours and hours like not working, money. you know. Yeah. It's uh, fascinating. It really is fascinating. That kind of stuff is fascinating to me. That's great. So, yeah, you know, the Masters really surprised. They, they can't really be planning on attacking Smog, but like you said, they're costing a lot of money. He never believed that he was who he said he was. He's a man, like you said, who is ignorant of history and myth, uh, which is a problem in Tolkien's world. Yeah. It does not speak well of yeah, him. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all self-interest. I also like— all self-interest. Yeah, totally, totally on self-interest. He has no sense of his place in the greater Even world. Even when he when he gave them honor and, and laud, you know, it was it was to gain or to keep. It was just the support of the people to get support. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It was it was flattery. It was just for his own you know, and, his own approval. And you ratings. can see even here, like, okay, we're going to help you, but why? We trust your gratitude when your kingdom is right. regained. In other words, yeah, he's laying it on pretty. Yeah, thick. he's he's counting the money right there. Um, and yet, you know, we'll see later on, uh, you know, late, later in the story, that he turns the anger of the people back onto the dwarves. I mean, he's mm-hmm. the guy who kind of triggers that that enmity that leads to the Battle of the Five Armies. I mean, okay, he's not alone, but he he really starts that ball rolling. Um, and again, it's all about self interest. He doesn't care about the dwarves. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, good stuff. So good, that's a good catch. I also like he think he assumes Thorin's a fraud. Yes, probably because he knows he's a fraud. Exactly, <laughs> it takes one to know one, <laughs> right? And a person like that thinks that's just the way the world works. Right, exactly. You know? Pot kettle kettle pot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that wraps up for our chapter discussion, right, Sean? I think it does. I don't think there's any more stuff to discuss? No, I don't no. think so. I think uh, we're ready to move on to Barlowman's bag. And- yeah. A fun well, reminder our, about our upcoming weekend. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we've got some some great questions coming up in the bag. And and I think you, Sean, you mentioned that there's an observation. We've got a really interesting observation by another listener that folks aren't going to want to miss. So stick around for that. Yep. But first, our big news. Yep. And folks, you know, if you follow us on social media, you've paid any attention at all over the last like half dozen episodes, you know we've been invited to MythMoot. Uh, MythMoot 5 is special guests. This June, that's June 2018, for those of you listening off in the far distant future. Uh, you know what? It, it happened to me. I was listening to a podcast the other day that I realized was like from 2006. <laughs> so, you know, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they have dates on them. Or don't, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I knew that. I just, I hadn't, I'd forgotten, you know, because it, it was right. about a topic that isn't timely. You know, it's another, right. like Tolkien. An evergreen topic. An evergreen yeah. topic. That's right. So uh, it really is an incredible opportunity. We're looking forward to it in a big way. Super excited about it, um, partly because we're going to be doing something really special. Mm-hmm. We're going to be doing a live episode broadcast yep. from MythMoot. Yep. We'll be in the main room. We'll be the only event in our time slot, and we're going to be joined by some special guests. Very special guests. Uh, John Garth and Corey Olson are both going to come back on the show. 
Uh, we're going to get to talk to the editor of The Annotated Hobbit, Douglas A. Anderson, and also Mark Ockren, the professional conlanger who uh, also invented Klingon. Yeah. Can't wait to catch up with John Garth and Corey Olson. Um, can't wait to get a chance to talk to Douglas Anderson about all his work that we've been referencing so much on the yeah, show. And, yeah. Um, Mark Ockren, I think, is going to be a really fantastic discussion, too. So Absolutely. Going to be great stuff. Absolutely. Well, the show is going to air live on Facebook at the time of the event. That's Saturday, June 23rd at 1 o'clock Eastern time for now. I mean, if, you know, if there are any changes, we'll let you know. But that does seem to be the uh, firm date and time for our uh, live broadcast. But it'll also be released the next morning as episode 88. And if we stay on our current schedule, that's going to be coming out right when we're wrapping up, right about the same time, mm-hmm. I should say, right when we're wrapping up The Hobbit. Um, yeah. And uh, we'll be getting ready for season three. I mean, we could not have planned that if we had tried. No, you're right. And I, I think that's true. I think our retrospective will air the week before Mythmoot. <laughs> I mean, it's, okay. uh, you, you know, go. assuming Perfect. we stay on schedule. So, um, you know, Mythmoot is covering our event registration. And we're grateful for that. It even includes our meals, which saves us some money. But uh, we still have to find, well, for us, that actually saves a lot of money, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're like hobbits. We need a ton of meals. Uh, oh, yes. But we still have to find a way to get there and stay there for a few days. We can't sleep in our, yeah. I don't know, we won't even have our cars because we won't be driving. It's too right. far to drive. can't sleep in a rented car. No, but, um, you know, getting from California to Virginia isn't exactly a stroll from Hobbiton to Buckland uh, or even Frogmorton <laughs> for that matter. And I know that That's Texas right. isn't much closer. So that means we, no, have, uh, we have some costs associated with this trip. Yeah, so we're coming to you, our listeners, to ask you for your help. Now, we recently started a special t-shirt campaign to raise funds, so please do go check that out on our Facebook page. Also, please consider joining the Fellowship of the Podcast. That's our Patreon family at patreon.com slash prancingponypod. Now, we weren't planning to do a live episode for Mamut until we got to our next goal, but we just couldn't tell no. turn this opportunity down, no, we and, and I hope you folks understand that. Yeah, and so now we're coming to you to help make it happen. You know, we are grateful for all that you guys have done for us so far, and it's thanks to our Patreon family that we've been able to make some of the improvements we've made, including this move to weekly episodes we've been doing for all of Season 2. So, uh, you know, we, right. we want to make it worth your while, though, with more than just that. We have included some very fun rewards, including some really cool exclusive content. Like our postscripts to each episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, any great insights we left out during the show or didn't Even think about mediocre really insights. awful jokes? <laughs> Even, yeah, we don't have too many great yeah, insights. Yeah, yeah, those are rare. Lots of mediocre ones. Uh, really awful jokes, extremely embarrassing yeah. mistakes. We we put those in a 10 or so minute postscript that's available to our Patreon supporters. Quantity has a quality all its own. That's all I'll say about those <laughs> yeah, insights. That's, um, <laughs> that's, that's our motto. That's right. <laughs> Speaking of quantity, we are nearing five hours of exclusive postscript content this season. So, uh, you know, it, it really, I mean, I know we started out saying they'd be five to 10 minutes. Really, I think they average about 12. Most of them are 15 or more. Closer to 15. Yeah. yeah. Um, but those posts. I keep saying 10 just so I don't overpromise. I know. But, you overpromise, know. underdeliver. No, it's the other way around. Yeah. Um, those postscripts typically release the same day as the episode that they follow. Uh, and if you want access to that bonus, along with some cool swag and other goodies, be sure to join the Fellowship of the Podcast. Uh, and again, thank you to those of you who've already joined. You really, 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 really are helping to make this show even better, just in case, uh, you know, we hadn't made that clear so far. And we want to give a, a yep. real special shout out to D-May in Alaska and James in Virginia. They are our patrons at the Kierdan's Contribution Tier. Now, if you want a personalized shout out on, your epi- on our episodes, you know where to go. And while we do truly appreciate your support, please don't feel obligated by any means. No. Uh, only if you can afford it and only if you think we've earned it should you consider signing up for the Fellowship of the Podcast. Um, 
We know some of you can't or are choosing to support us in other ways, and that's great. We are grateful for all of your support, whatever form it takes. So even if you can't join us at Patreon, please keep enjoying the podcast, keep sharing it. We'll keep making it. Absolutely, Sean. Well, why don't we go ahead and get on with Barlaman's bag? This episode's getting already a little long in the tooth. <laughs> it is. Well, not long ago, Nathaniel G. in Virginia wrote in with a question about dwarves. He said, did dwarves figure in the pre-Hobbit draft? Let me start that over. <laughs> did dwarves figure in the pre-Hobbit draft of so what became the Silmarillion? Or were they retconned in to make sense of the central role that dwarves play in the Hobbit? Mm. The Ainulindale concerns the children of Iluvatar, which seem to be just elves and men. And the transitions between the first, second, third, and now fourth ages illustrate the decline of the former and the rise of the latter. The place of dwarves is conspicuously missing. Another way of asking my question is whether Tolkien was forced to find room for the dwarves in his high fantasy because he had written what was initially a standalone children's book, The Hobbit, which, unlike his high fantasy as originally conceived, just happened to have dwarves instead of elves among its main characters. That's a good question. Really interesting question. What what role did dwarves play in the Legendarium before, in the, early you know, versions, before the Hobbit? Right. Yeah, the early versions. A fantastic question. Um, the short answer, Nathaniel, is... Dwarves did figure in the early writings. They're in the Book of Lost Tales and the early versions in the Quenya, uh, the early versions of the Quinta, um, early versions of the Quenya. Yeah. Um, so they were in those early writings, but they were not friendly. No. Far from it. Uh, Christopher Tolkien actually went so far as to add a parenthetical note in uh, the Book of Lost Tales, Volume One, where he says, uh, "In the early writings, the dwarves are almost always, excuse me, the dwarves are always portrayed as an evil people." Oh my goodness. Um, and, and they really are. If you look at some of the things they do, which I'll talk about in a moment, yeah. uh, they, they really are evil. And Ratliff, I think, makes some observations mm-hmm. about this in um, one of the essays in the History of the Hobbit, yeah. which I think you've got there, right? Alan? I do. He says that the most significant departure in The Hobbit from the old mythology of the Silmarillion texts lies in the new story's more or less sympathetic treatment of Durin's folk. In their early appearances in Tolkien's tales, the dwarves had always been portrayed as an evil people, allies of goblins mercenaries of Morgoth, pillagers of one of the great elven kingdoms. Thus, their characterization here is totally at variance with what is said and shown of them in the old legends. And the break is both sudden and complete. No intermediate stages prepared the way. For them to be treated sympathetically as heroes of the new story is nothing short of amazing, no less surprising than if a company of goblin wolf riders had ridden up to Bag End seeking a really first-class burglar. <laughs> It's really, uh, really strong words, but true. Yeah. I mean, the dwarves really are just that evil in the early writings. Um, one of the main interactions we see between dwarves and elves early on is the tale of the Nauglif ring, mm-hmm. uh, later called the Nauglamir. Right. And we've talked about it a few times already. It's actually mentioned in this story, mm-hmm. the story of Thingol. And, and sorry, a reference to the story of Thingol. You know, yeah, I know what you're saying. trying to say. Yeah. Um, we talked about it when we talked the, about the Thingol. Thranduil connection. The, the, yeah. the elven king's identity yeah. and the inspiration of Thingol and so forth. Exactly. Yeah. In the earliest version of the Book of Lost Tales, the dwarves who killed Thingol, who was called Tinwalent at the mm-hmm. time, were much more treacherous and vicious than they ended up being in the final Silmarillion. They actually allied with orcs oh, to pillage right. Tinwalent's halls. Allied with orcs. And they didn't just kill the king himself. They actually beheaded him oh. and presented his head to the queen, oh. still crowned and helmed with gold. Oh, that's nasty. Awful, awful guys the dwarves were yeah. in the early versions. And they were frequently allied with, with Melko, wow. which was you know, the yeah. early version of Melkor and Morgoth. Um, really evil. I mean, uh, just, just the worst yeah. Yeah. or almost right the worst up right, there. There, right up there with orcs and, and, and Morgoth. 
Um, Ratliff actually suggests that Tolkien later created the distinction that we see in the Silmarillion between the petty dwarves oh, and the seven houses of the dwarves. Yeah. He thinks that distinction may have been added later, after the creation of The Hobbit. And this would have given him a way to show both good dwarves like Thorin and you know the rest of Durin's folk that we get sure. here versus uh, you know wicked dwarves like Meme yeah. and the other petty dwarves who are uh, seem to be extinct by the third <laughs> yeah, age because Meme and his sons were the last. Yeah, yeah. Man, that really is a great question, Nathaniel. And, and honestly, with, yeah. with answers I didn't anticipate. I mean, I, I, it's been so long since I've done a deep dive into the history, uh, history of Middle Earth. And I, I oftentimes have gone straight to the stuff from Lord of the Rings, like volumes, what, four, five, and six. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so the Book of Lost Tales one and two, I've not spent as much time in. So it was really cool to, to get the, that information. I got to tell you, I've enjoyed going back and I have not read it cover to cover, but I've been going back and looking a lot at the Book of Lost Tales as we've been talking about the Hobbit. Yeah. I mean, that was the stuff that Tolkien That's what he had, had in his mind. That's, that was his legendary at that this, point. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I wish so I had time to do that. <laughs> I've got this podcast yeah, I'm well, doing. That <laughs> we've got a podcast and, you know, day jobs. Well, and, yeah, and families and but you know, and all that all stuff. All that stuff. But, uh, yeah, really really interesting stuff. Absolutely. And, we, you know, usually the Book of Lost Tales is something we just kind of throw out. So much of it is superseded by oh, yeah. what came later. Yeah. But um, but it is it is illuminating in, yeah. in a way for what was in his mind when he was writing The Hobbit. I but, agree. Anyway. Well, thanks, Nathaniel. And now we have not a question, but a really excellent observation by Giampiero. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Giampiero C. in Lombardy, Italy. It's kind of a long one, but bear with us. So he says, a thought about Bilbo, Frodo, and Sam. It seems to me that Bilbo and Sam end up being more similar to one another than Bilbo and Frodo. I'll explain. Bilbo throughout The Hobbit maintains his hobbitishness intact, like Sam, even after what all they've gone through in their respective journeys. Yes, they are wiser, more disenchanted, but still cheerful and willingly and, and sorry, and willing to enjoy some simple hobbit pleasures. Frodo, on the other hand, seems quite early into the adventure to acquire more of an elvish attitude towards reality, a sort of sadness and distance that becomes more and more prominent after his wounding and especially after the destruction of the ring. Now, Giampiero says he realized this uh, when reading this passage from chapter three of The Hobbit. Is that the mountain? asked Bilbo in a solemn voice, looking at it with round eyes. He had never seen a thing that looked so big before. Of course not, said Balin. That is only the beginning of the Misty Mountains, and we have to get through or over or under those somehow, or we can come into Widdle and beyond. And it's a deal of a way even from the other side of them to the lonely mountain in the east, where Smaug lies on our treasure. Oh, said Bilbo, and just at that moment he felt more tired than he ever remembered feeling before. <laughs> it's a pretty powerful moment for Bilbo. It and, really is. And Giampiero, he actually compared that moment to a similar, uh, let's call it a misidentification of another mountain <laughs> by Sam yeah. in Lord of the Rings. This is in Book 2, Chapter 3. And uh, and Sam says, Too warm, I shouldn't wonder, muttered Sam to Frodo. But I'm beginning to think it's time we got a sight of that fiery mountain and saw the end of the road, so to speak. I thought at first that this here red horn, or whatever its name is, might be it, till Gimli spoke his piece. A fair jawcracker dwarf language must be. <laughs> and indeed it is. Uh, and Giampiero points out, he goes on to point out that both Bilbo and Sam mistake a common mountain for the one they're looking for, and both stand corrected by a dwarf. I wouldn't read too much into the parallel. Surely I wouldn't dare to say it was intentional. At best, it's an insight on how small the world of both Bilbo and Sam is at this point in their journeys. He's right. Uh, he wonders what we think of this. And, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, he wonders what we think and, and why we think that is. 
It's a brilliant observation. It really I mean, is, it, really, truly. Absolutely spot on. I could not agree more. I mean, uh, <laughs> the case of the mistaken mountains. Uh, <laughs> it's a clear parallel, um, intentional or not. Yeah. And I suspect it was, yeah. I like to think it was at least partly intentional. Um, but, I mean, it shows, regardless of whether it's intentional or not, it shows that both Bilbo and Sam start from a similar misconception. Yeah. The misconception that the world is smaller than it actually is. Yep. And I think that is sort of a manifestation of their own desire for it to be smaller. <laughs> they're both <laughs> yeah, really, right. they're both hobbitish, as, yeah. as Jean-Pierre says. It's, they, part of them just kind of wants to get their quest over with and go back yeah, home. Yeah, can I be That's done really yet? Want. Can I be done? Yeah. Yeah, they want, they want the world to be smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, why is Frodo different? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. It it could have something to do with his possession of the ring at that point. Which um, is certainly acting differently than it was when Bilbo possessed it. Yeah, that's true, because Sauron is more yeah, seeking know, alert more, yeah. and kind of active in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I also think it could just be something more mundane than that. I think Frodo has learned more from Bilbo than anyone else. Yeah, yeah. And I think Frodo starts his journey with a head full of stories and, and not just, you know, hobbit fairy tales, no, but, you know, real lore. stories, yeah. Yeah, real stories that Bilbo has told him. He's better educated about the world than Bilbo or Sam is at the beginning of their stories. Right. One would expect Frodo to understand just how big the world is. Mm-hmm. Now, his learning is all book knowledge, mm-hmm. um, but but it is he's, he does have sort of a sense of his place in the world that maybe Bilbo or Sam didn't have starting out. Right. Now, obviously, I know Bilbo was um, Bilbo and Sam didn't exactly start out at the same place. You know, Bilbo was pretty wealthy, and Sam, you know, was working class. But still, Bilbo and Sam kind of had to learn about the world by living in it. And maybe there's maybe that's why there's that similarity. Yeah, yeah. Then again, maybe Tolkien would also say that Bilbo and Sam are both the heroes of their stories. True. So there's that similarity as well. That's you know, true. they they should be more humble in their origins because it gives them farther to go in terms of achieving, you know, the the change. The ennoblement mm-hmm. that happens to them as part of their journey. Um, yeah, I and can you know, see that. hobbitish small-mindedness, I think, is part of that. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, it's a question of where they start from, really. I mean, you know, Bilbo yeah. starts from an even simpler place than Sam. Sam had at least had heard bits and pieces of Bilbo's story, but well, that's a good you know, point, but yeah. Frodo, man, he's another story entirely. I mean, he's learned of all of this through Bilbo, and it must be said, Gandalf. Um, True. You know, if you recall in the books, this is definitely an area where it distinguished itself from the movies. The books. Tolkien's conversation with Frodo about the danger of the ring and its original owner, that all takes place, you know, a very long time, years. I forget how many years now. Long before he and Sam— 17, 18, Yeah, I think, I think 17 yeah. years. That's mm-hmm. a long time before he and Sam, along with those other two troublemakers, leave the Shire. Uh, you know, that's a good point. He's been pondering this for a long, long time, so— Yeah. I think that's got a yeah, lot to do point. with it. Well, thanks to both of you, Nathaniel and Giampiero. Uh, that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. But still hang out for a little while, wait for the music. <laughs> As always, thank you very much for joining us, and we look forward to having you join us again next time when we get to Chapter 11 of The Hobbit. We'll finally get to that mountain we've been hearing so much about and seeing. Yep. But will our heroes be able to get inside? Oh, you know the answer to that. Folks, we do want to encourage you all to read along. Not too far ahead, mind you, but uh, and to take notes in your copy of The Hobbit. So, Please check out the official library tab on our website, theprancingponypodcast.com. That's theprancingponypodcast.com. 
We've got links to everything from inexpensive paperbacks to some really good stuff here at Tolkien Shelves. And in the meantime, if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes for us and leaving a review, we'd really be grateful for that. Every new review we get just helps us get more visibility in iTunes, and that translates to a bigger community of Tolkien lovers, which is what we're all about building. Yep. And make sure you never miss an episode of the Prancing Pony podcast by subscribing to the show through iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can find us in most any podcast directory, including Spotify. And we're even on Potable now. It's a discovery platform that finds new and emerging creators and recommends them to you. Other apps make you sort through clunky charts, but Potable learns your interests and kind of like Netflix, recommends new shows and episodes. So you get to spend less time searching and more time listening. And we want to thank all of you who have become part of our social media family at our online common room on Facebook at The Prancing Pony Podcast, on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod, and also now on Instagram at Prancing Pony Pod. That's right. And one last thing as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, or readings of your favorite token poetry with a thank you very much style head cold. That should be fun. <laughs> That's going to be great. Please, please make them video readings if you can to Barlaman at the Prancing Pony Podcast.com. And we'll try to get him into our next episode. Well, hour 45 is still far too short a time to spend amongst such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time, farewell, friends. Thank you.